0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Future Elites Podcast, where every Friday not only we talk about this lovely game of football slash soccer, but we also talk about life. I'm your host, Parsa, and I really hope you enjoy today's podcast and the future podcasts. Hence the name Future Elites Podcast. Now, without further ado, let me introduce you to one of my mentors, slash long-term soccer coach, slash Brandon. ladies and gentlemen Carlos Vera thank you so much for being on today's uh, podcast coach how are you doing
1: thank you for having me Parasan. good to see you great, great
0: thank you thank you likewise yeah my uh, coach Vera has been coaching me I mean for how long uh, since I was a uh, sophomore in high school so a good like four or five five six years why don't you uh, tell the audiences the listeners a uh, bit about yourself and then we'll get to the
1: questions well um First of all, it, it was you were a great player for from the from the day I met you. And um, when Christopher, my son, introduced me to you, he said, "I'm gonna bring this guy. He's kind of good." And we, when you came, said, this guy is quick. It takes me about five seconds to tell whether a player is good or not. And going out of that, um, I was born in Ecuador, and to be specifically and. Uh, in the part of where the top teams the clubs and ecuador are located i grew up there all all the way until the age of 16 something like that then i came here but in ecuador is different than the u.s is uh soccer is everything we call it football over there more than soccer Mm -hmm. and coming from those from that background my father was a professional soccer player and playing soccer with friends in the street, playing soccer for a club. When I came to the U.S., uh, I came to the city of New York. I played for my high school team. And then going to college, I had the choice, track and field or soccer. Track and field covered my entire college. So I had to go with track and field. But um, once I got married and I moved to Northern Virginia, where I live now, um the first thing that I encountered that Virginia is very different than than new york and and that's how I started coaching kids again and that, and that's coaching is not what I do for a living but it's my passion and whenever I have an opportunity, even if I'm driving, and I see a bunch of kids just kicking the ball and if I have time, I'll pull over, sorry right, guys let me so that's basically where I am, you know, just a passionate of soccer. And I've gone through the entire education process all the way to get my B license, which is, you know, something that most people will do if they want to pursue this as a career. But I just want to, when I coach soccer, I want to benefit people with not only with uh, with, uh, with soccer skills, knowledge, but also some life skills and 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 that's that's basically all about me. All
0: right, love it, love it. Um, so back to <clears throat> your father being a professional soccer player. Did that ever put uh, any pressure on you? Like, okay, I have to be as good, or like be better, or like was it any pressure or like people saying that? Okay, why are you not playing? Uh, at this level, you know what I mean. Was there any any pressure like that ever?
1: I think. I think somewhat the the main pressure always came from him Mm -hmm. because, in a joking fashion, he would tell me, You're not not as good as me. Mm -hmm. He's like, You just go with the ball. He didn't like me dribbling all the time and going all the way to the goal without passing. He's like, You run inside the goal and come back out with the ball. That's not how you play (laughs) when I I was smaller. But, um, it was different times and um and also the the fact that he played in Ecuador and then at the age of twenty one he went to Ontario, Canada and he played there with a with an Italian club and whenever I saw the pictures, I will see all the Italian players tall, long hair, and my father was you know uh, very the typical Latino he was a lot short than. Them. But he was the number 10 and he was the the playmaker of the team. So yeah, you, you do somewhat get that pressure, but once you become more mature and 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 then you you're building your own player and your own athlete, then you kinda get away from it a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um so
0: here's the thing, like like you said in Ecuador, or like just South America, or Europe, or even uh, where I'm from, Iran, like in the Middle East, soccer, football is just the sport, right? You can be good, bad, whatever, you still play no matter what because it's just like enjoyable. But uh, like America right here is a bit different because there are a variety of sports that is just like a lot of distractions: baseball, American football, basketball, and all that. So, what do you think? Um, made that happen like what do you think inspired that uh, football which is soccer in the whole world to be the sport and why is it not the same for
1: America what's your opinion Uh, you know I, I think the U.S. is it's so different when it comes when it comes to football in particular because is almost as a society over here, because soccer doesn't start, you know, you don't become a professional. You don't go through your elementary school, middle school, high school, and then get to the age of 20 Said, all right, I decide to play soccer. Yeah. That starts at an early age. And over here, what starts at an early age, and, you know, I have that with my children, all of them being born here, So you were able to compare, because I was a child in a foreign country. And over there, you go to school, recess, you play soccer. And then you get out of school, go home, wash your hands, do your homework, eat and play soccer until it gets dark. Then they'll call you to eat. And then if you have a little more light, you'll probably go back out and play soccer. So it's all almost cemented in the culture over there. Over here is different because uh soccer is a sport where you all you need in reality all you need is shorts maybe if it's too hot where i come from where i used to live it was really hot so you had only shorts no shoes in some cases you do have shoes in some cases some kids didn't have shoes so i guess is 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 a sport that's available to everyone imagine if a person that lives in, in Ecuador, Iran, Afghanistan. Uh, because I, when I came here, I came to find out we we're so similar. Although we are in different regions, and different continents, but we are so similar culturally. And imagine if a person from Ecuador had to play, um, let's say American football. All that gear, they wouldn't be able to afford soccer. It's available to everyone. Soccer, soccer is universal. And that's why, you know, there there are a lot more people, more, a lot more people from humble uh, beginnings or, or just, or just basic uh, economic standards. They, that's, and that's why soccer is, it's available. And it's, and it's more, is much bigger than any other sport because right. there is, yeah. And uh, over here, uh, you know, you get exposed to all these things. The kids are at school. When they come right. home, in their in their binder, they have okay winter. Also, you know, over here, you have the seasons. You know, they have winter, where if it's winter season, you really cannot play outside. Mm-hmm. Then you have the fact that. You know, it's indoor soccer, or you or you play a winter sport. It's a, a lot of elements, but uh, I think it's more the fact that soccer is a sport that anyone can play.
0: Right? Do you think that in the future, like in near future, not long term, that it's gonna change? Like in America, it's gonna change. It's become it will become more of a mainstream sport rather than like third, fourth, uh. Uh, like option because right now like it's American football and basketball
1: and baseball and soccer you know yeah soccer is definitely like third or probably fourth yeah uh, in uh, in importance for the for the U.S. uh, I guess uh, sports federation um, or the entity that that oversees sports in the U.S. and and it's all about finances, where they put their money. Down. Okay, we're gonna put this much in football. Although each team, it's its own business. Basically, they all LLCs. They all for profit. They they're broken down into. They all have their their branch of non profit. But it's it's gonna have to do a lot with the youth development. You know, the the parents. Who love the sport, and if they pass on to their kids, expose them to the sport, the, you will have to become for 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 things to change. It'll have to do with it, with the sports authorities. If you know they make more fields, more indoor facilities that are available to kids. For example, Slatan uh, Ibrahimovic, you know who he is, right? Yeah. He he is. He said something to Los Angeles time, and I, I I kind of agree with that. He said, it's crazy that in the US, for a kid who is really good to play soccer in one of the top travel teams, they have to pay $3,000. When in Europe and the rest of the world, to place the, the better player doesn't pay anything. And that's why we're backwards over here. So we will have to change that mindset. We will have to uh, the the government will have to step in and say, you know what, you local clubs here, it's you know this much, so you don't have to charge. I'm already funding you, and and that's where you know they. I don't think they realize, but this is a very uh, diverse uh, diverse country itself. Not only now that. Everywhere, everywhere you go, you find people from different ethnicities yeah. and, and soccer is big. Outside the U.S., soccer is big and, and they need to realize that. And that is going to change. The minute they change that, it's going to change society itself. Because in our countries, we, we have everything, you know, we have all, all kinds of uh, good and bad things. Yes, there is crime rates and everything, but not the type of crimes that is over here. The minute you get the youth from families, from low incomes, occupied in a sport they can afford, soccer will by itself become bigger. And of course, they will have to change the way the MLS and the division and every, the structure of the professionalism is, is now. I, I think that for, the, for, for this to become a change, that, that will have to change first.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like, it's very powerful when you said, like, it's like, America is a diverse country, and we can take advantage of this that we, because we have players from different nationalities that could become that could basically play for the U.S. nationals if we give them that opportunity. But most of them don't have that much um, uh, income to be be able to afford that. So I definitely think if that's a big if though if we can change the whole system i feel like u.s will be one of the best teams in the world if that actually happens that's a big very big if though it's gonna take time but
1: hopefully if that happens that would be great but um let's yeah go ahead friends france is a very diverse country and they have one of the top teams in the world yeah when you look at each of their players, what's their background? A lot of them are from Africa, Middle yeah. East, Portugal, and probably twenty percent from France, France. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There you have it. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh
0: let's go back more uh about you. So what really inspired you to start take that coaching route in uh soccer?
1: It's always um The way you were brought up, the way you the way your parents raised you and the exposure you had to the sport. And when when it's a passion, it doesn't matter what sport it is, what you're passionate about, as you get older and you mature, you wanna share. And that's the great thing about soccer, because a soccer player goes along probably along with the with a with a runner and athlete soccer player is a complete player and it not only physically but you also you depending who was your coach but most of the soccer coaches become your father figure they they and, and in on our countries and that's that's how how that's how i guess i got inspired when i came to the u.s I, my high school, um, was John Bond High School in New York. And they said, okay, this is the, <laughs> this is the varsity team. And I looked at them. I said, well, these guys are really bad. <laughs> so, uh, and they were all like 6'2, four. And, and I'm talking about, this was 1989. So going back several years And I thought they were really bad. There was no MLS. There was no professional league. So there was nothing that you were looking forward to. And so once I have my children is when I made the decision, when I had my first son, Christopher, is when I made the decision. I said, you know what? Soccer is really bad over here. If I put him in any club, they're not going to teach him any better than I can. Mm -hmm. And that's around the time when I started although I had the knowledge of the entire life of playing soccer but that's not enough it's good to go through the education system it teaches you a lot and and I decided to start my licensing and and then as soon as he started walking I will teach him a home and that was I think my first coaching experience my my son before that let me just go back a little bit I I did i did do some coaching with my nephews but just in house i've done money when i was in new york only 19 i was i was making decent money so i i went to visit my country i visited a club that people over there like i said to you before some of the kids just have regular shoes shorts and a t-shirt that's how they play Mm -hmm. for a club for a club, you cannot be barefoot At the, on the streets. The kids do play barefoot, but uh, for a club, you have to have shoes. You just have to be cleats. So when I was visiting, I donated someone. I said, Hey, you know, let's buy the kids, uh, some gear." And then I, I spent probably a couple of days watching the, the, the coaches who were my age. Now I was only 19 then, but when Chris was born is when I decided, I said, I want to coach. And that's, when this started it is more than twenty three years ago. Chris about to mm-hmm. turn or so. That's when it all started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What age group? What
0: age group do you like believe is the most important for youth development? Because you did mention youth development, and I really want to talk on that uh, on today's podcast. What do you think is the, like the the most important age group?
1: It can be a bunch of ages, but the range, it, what do you think is? It's actually a range. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. It's the same age where the kids are between second grade and fifth grade. Okay. If, they, if they are not exposed to the sport, then they can always learn it after. But the skill set is going to be different. There's things that they, their brain no longer can capture the way it does at that age you may it may not look like you're doing a lot of progress, but the exposure to it send first playing against your own child and then putting with a private coach with a small group with a little club and having them go to against another kid because the kids are always gonna play good against the dad, the uncle, the brother because they know. You are probably gonna let them win. They don't. They're not stupid. They know you're probably not <laughs> gonna hurt them. But yeah. another, another kid, the same age, is not going to be nice. Mm-hmm. So that great, and they develop, develop this. The almost is is like an instinct that okay, when I have the ball, I have to protect it. When I score a goal, is a good thing, and just the repetition in that time frame it doesn't. The kids are not going to learn the Maradona or, or pullbacks or anything between that age. But what they, why they do learn is to be, to, to either, it's something they want to do or not. You know, that's, that's when yeah. it starts. That's where you want to expose them to it. No one wants to force anyone. But right. if you expose them to that, to the sport, then you'll know. You'll know automatically, okay they want that's that's what they want to do and and i I, that's that's the age that range yeah basically like eight years old
0: to like 10 11
1: yeah third grade fifth grade here in the u.s Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah makes sense yeah um so do you have like do you
0: approach those that range a certain way to reach their full potential youth development as soccer players to like excel their skills and at the same time enjoy their time do you approach it differently than other age groups or
1: no yeah yeah definitely because because they don't have the maturity for example to a 14 year old i'm not going to insult the 14 year old but i am going to yell loud enough so he can hear me it's almost like a puppy when he's trying to bite you and say ah and they yeah, yeah. And, but a player is is not releasing the ball. Look, it's is I always I'm a fan of skilled players who can mm-hmm. take two, or three, or four people and go. But the minute you cannot do it, you know, so often. So it's different the, the approach and the tree and how you how you go about it. Um based on the age group. You know, that age you start uh on third grade you know with you don't not playing games anymore when you do like the the one year olds they just kicking the ball around oh. but at 3 you know you you start showing them what's to score the benefit of scoring and you want to create scoring opportunities as often as possible so they get a reward they get the reward but they also need to get scored on so they know what to lose is, and that's how it is. It's now is kind of a mix of a game, but with a reward when you do good, and also you're able to experience what is to get scored on. So it, that that is something you you go, you know, at steps. Probably when you get to fifth grade, mm-hmm. it's a little more competitive. Now the kids have to do a lot of one on one, two v two because they have no choice. And a 1v1, one, 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 they have no choice. They have to go for the ball. They have to defend it. Because if not, they get scored on. And if they attack it, they're going to score. So, and and that's, it's almost like a practice session. A practice session, you know, you start with a warm-up and then you do a drill. And then with that drill, you move into right, a game right. situation. Same thing for each group. You know, you start with little games when they really little at two at three, they have to experience the scoring and getting a score, and then they start playing as a team, right. and then they play with the team
0: and against yes. the team.
1: So, uh, that's my experience. Yeah. Best results. Yeah, yeah, I like. I definitely like
0: that analogy, though. Yeah, it's like a warm up. It makes sense. Um, So, do you have a? philosophy about like obviously we talk about the youth development but just the overall philosophy about just coaching how do you encourage um do you encourage the positive reinforcement like how what's your reinforcement uh, what's your philosophy about coaching just any player is there any single like certain one or
1: it differs you know I, i'm when it comes to the to the youth soccer player, players, I'm a fan of. Of honesty, you don't want to be offensive to kids. Some kids, every child is different. Some may get offended, of, of something that um, the coach says, the way the coach says it, and that's because in their household maybe there is no yelling at all. So the minute you just call their name loud, they become little tiny. So you gotta be careful with that. Um, but. But soccer, the reward of soccer should always be the goal, the goal, the scoring, the winning, and you know there's, there's only two ways. You either win, lose. But there should never be at the at the youth age group. There should be never a tie. I've seen coaches that said, "Okay, you know nobody won." the kids uh, I, and that's very common here in the US for example, at the rec level when they're younger, they tell them we're not keeping the score, the kids are not stupid they are keeping the score and they know when they lose. Yeah. I seen you know Chris used to be crying he's like I said Chris doesn't matter we're not counting the score but he'll know he's like oh no, we lost, they know when they lose so yes, the reward is you know you you guys did great and you won. And also, you have to let them know when they didn't do good, and that's the reason they lost. Right.
0: Do you think the tie, even let, let's say let, they actually tie, let's say to just score two on both sides, right? Do you think that tie at a young age just makes them feel like you didn't really accomplish anything? Is that what you're saying, like
1: their mentality is like... No, I think it, depending, if it's practice... You, I will, My philosophy is that I, I will run practice until somebody wins. So it's mm-hmm. like a, almost like a golden goal. Whenever somebody yeah. scores, that's the winner. But in an official game, they have no control and they end up tying. That's a different yeah. story. When they come, like, okay, this is this is what you could have done so you don't get scored on if the, if the game was 1-1. But if the game was 0-0, that means they had, depending on the age, you know, if you're younger, you have 60 minutes, two halves or 30 minutes. If you're older, 90 minutes to look for that goal. And and it's basically, I I always like to make the soccer session be after the game almost like a like a game. I said, you know, mm. put the situation before them. and said, look, you know, you guys without pointing at a player, you guys at one point had this opportunity and this is things you could have done different. And that's why the professional teams review tapes of their games and the coach can freeze the image and say, over here, we could have done this different. But a tie is always the opportunity to talk about what could have been done different to impact the score on your favor. Right, right. Got it. Yeah, yeah I like that. So
0: after coaching Chris, right, um, obviously you, will You continue to coaching other uh, players. What uh, I'm, I'm assuming there were some obstacles. If not, we'll move to another question. But if there were, what were some obstacles that you encountered? And then you can get into that.
1: Um, what I and I, I realize that is also common with the with the parents of players who mm-hmm. come from foreign countries is that they think they are in their country, because in our countries, it's free, right? Since for the players, it's free. And when it's free, the club provides everything. The club will pick you up. The kids are very independent. There is public transportation. The kids can go with the parent of another one and ride the bus and get to the, to the field. And because over here, we are in a different uh, system, mom, that work and they cannot get the player to the to the practice or they get them late and the kids feel that the kids feel that and in trying to to help out with that when you're a coach and you as you grow uh, in life and get older you realize that you're gonna put a lot out of your time and sometimes even your pockets because That's how soccer coaches are. We are, we we coach with a heart, a lot, and we and we we feel bad when a player cannot make it. Say, hey, you know where are you? Let me just get you. Oh, mom and dad are at work. So that the biggest challenge has been, you know, players that cannot get to the field. A lot of times, um, is is that the parents think the clubs over here are gonna take the full charge charge of, of whatever uh, the situation is of, of their of their player but it's not like that over here is different and there is not a club behind us usually when we coach we're volunteers but when I was able to have my own team yeah, the, the challenge has always been how can we get players who are don't, do not have a driver's license yet? cannot drive themselves and picking them up. It it has been hard arrangements. The arrangements to get the kids to the field. That has been the challenge. Yeah. Uh, It hasn't happened to me, but some other uh,
0: situations did happen to me that you definitely touched on, like you said, soccer coaches. Or, like, I feel like coaches in general, the good ones, they actually, like, they care more with the heart Rather than the the brain right here, and and that actually does make sense a lot. But um, so do you uh recall any of your previous coaches that? Let me get, when you were a kid, when you were uh, when you were playing, do you remember any of your coaches that did something, coached a certain way, or said something that you remembered and it and was like a good um memory? Do you recall that or like anything?
1: In that matter, uh, I had a lot of coaches um, when I was in Ecuador, and then when I came here. But I think the when it comes to soccer, the the one the things that I remember and that have impacted me as a coach and and when teaching children and and just w- with the sport in in general is uh the experiences with my father i i met my dad when i was about the age of 5 because he had left to play in toronto when i was a kid when i was 6 months old i didn't know him wow. yeah. so when he when he came back i was already 5 and just start at the 5 you just starting to Realize you probably started having memories from the age three and a half and up, so I was starting to realize, okay, my grandma would always tell me "This is your dad showing me pictures, but I met him, but when I met him i was I already liked soccer because the kids in the neighborhood would play soccer and I used to play soccer, but things that impacted me are um you know my experiences with him watching him play. And also because he was still young, he'll still play in the in the local leagues. And one time he took me to a professional soccer game. That's the first time I went to professional. I probably was in first grade, uh, must have been. And and I remember that the entire time I was going, I was holding his hand. I was looking up. He was talking to me about the traits of of each position: what a midfielder has to do, a defender, a uh, forward. Yeah, yeah. And As we walked to the stadium and we entered with a bunch of people, my first time in a big stadium. So since he talked to me about it the entire time when I got there, sat down, I was watching. I said, dad, he's not doing what his traits are supposed to. So so those are experiences that, and then we'll watch soccer together. He'll tell me, look, you know, the forward has to be selfish. He cannot pass the ball. It's his job to score. So he cannot Let someone have the ball. It's his responsibility. So those are things that I carry along all the way up to now. And it always, it always pop out of my mouth when I talk to the players, hey, you know, these are the traits because by now I realized that he was right. And so as as far as um, situations or a person who impacted me the most was my dad, because if, Personally, in person, aside from, I have met Messi in person, I've not talked to him, but I've seen him like yeah. from here for half a yard. I think I told you that. Yeah. The other great player that I've seen is my dad. So so that was a good, uh, a good experience, a good, the person who impacted my, my life mostly when it comes to the sport.
0: All right, just wanted to give a quick shout out to everyone who is tuning in so far. I really hope you're finding value in this episode and hopefully the future episodes. If you have any suggestions on what you'd like to hear more of on our podcast, please give us a feedback, hopefully five stars. And in the comments, write down your suggestions. Again, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. So your dad was basically your coach as well during like for that
1: matter, right? Yeah. Not, mm-hmm. he will just play with me. He didn't I know,
0: coach a Yeah,
1: coach yeah coach, I know,
0: But, yeah. but, but for that main, matter, yeah. yeah. That's the, the only reason I asked that was to touch, like what you just said at the end, to uh implement those things as a coach yourself. So that's why I asked, do you remember any of your uh, previous coaches that coached you to, that you took away something that resonated with you and then gave it back to the, other players so yeah that that's i like that i like that so um obviously as a uh private coach and a group uh, coach uh, it's it's a bit different because you are by yourself you're not um working for a club or a team so everything else like the business side you're still doing it and un- un- until you find people that are more knowledgeable and interested in that have the same vision as you and can help you out in that. But until then, you're basically doing everything yourself, the business part and the coaching part. So, um, uh, what were the most uh, valuable lessons you've learned during those, like the first few years of coaching while having the business side in it? So like any lessons you
1: learned on the business side of the coaching, you know, I, I realized that it's hard to, to mix both of them. And usually what I, what I ended up doing is just coaching. Um, to give you an example, when I first came to Northern Virginia, I lived in a place named Manassas, which is a suburb here in Northern Virginia. Yeah. And it, it's very diverse. Manassas is very diverse, a uh, big Latino presence, uh, and then other inner cities too, you know. You got uh, people from Egypt and uh, Africa and uh, Ethiopia, which is Africa as well. But um, you you have a good a good combination over there. And when I came, I realized that that's when I when I realized that is the soccer here in this area is a business. But when I came from New York. I used to coach, not not uh, as a business, just as just as a coach, volunteer for free, whatever. But when I got here, I said, you know, there's nothing better in life than being able to to make a living, doing doing something you love to do, and you while you benefit other other people. and And I thought, oh, this is a good idea. and And in my case. It was a bit challenging because um, I didn't. I I had too much. My coaching was more with the heart than than focusing in in the business aspect. Now I think different. Now I've matured. Now I think different. I um I'll I'll have to to divide my time. It's it takes a lot of time. A lot of people think that you just show up train kids or make a team but but they work because we uh, this is a this is a country where where it's filled with liabilities you know anything anything can go wrong and then suddenly you in a situation in a litigation situation so you don't want to be there and and that's why my main focus was having the right forms when especially when you're dealing with youth and uh I ended up doing a league, a free league in Manassas, completely free for the kids. Mm-hmm. And the way I went is I, I looked for sponsors, business to sponsor the, the kids. It was 400 kids. And I did something similar um, to what other clubs were doing where I had parents volunteer to take on each little team of each division, each group, age group. And of course, I will have like, um, before we kick off, we had like four sessions where I'll have a class, uh, literally a presentation and a class. Okay. This is how you coach youth. These are things you have to be careful. These are things you cannot touch. These things you cannot say. This is, you know, and then, then we moved on to the sports aspect. I'll hold a little session with them, teach them how to run yeah. a practice, you know, so they don't go empty handed. Like over here, uh, right. they of where what they do to the to the volunteer coaches, they hand them a bag with twenty cones and and training bibs, and I say, "Well, coach, they the best they can do is go to YouTube and try to learn something, but yeah. it doesn't work that way." But that that's that was uh, one of the things that um, I am actually recently working on is is also when I have another business enterprise where. It, my main focus is, and that's that's the one where I earn a living. So trying to get enough time to do that and do the soccer part, it, it's it's a bit challenging because of the amount of time. Um Right. But uh we'll see. That's the that's something I I, I feel that it's hard to do it alone. You have to. Yeah. You. To. Yeah have to form is some kind of partnership with people that share the same passion. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So
0: the, for the camp that you had the 400 kids, because that's a huge number of kids. Was it mainly because it was free for them or were they like a, a part of marketing that got them? You know what I mean? You know, um,
1: when i went to school and this also goes back to my dad when i was growing up i watched my dad he did a lot of community stuff he'll go fight for the town council so they can get water they can get electricity and then you know whenever they succeeded on those achievements he'll he'll do a soccer tournament he said it's free for everybody and he'll buy okay. shirts and then he'll go with me you know he'll hold my hand and go to the barber and say hey you know Help us with $50 and go to the tailor. Help us with $50. What is this for? We achieved, we did this achievement and I want to do something for these people, but I don't have the money. If you help me, I'm going to put the name of your business on the shirts. So you kind of take that away and then you, you know, you bring it to the modern world in a different level. So I actually did, um, took an online class when I, when I came here to Manassas on sports marketing And, and when I decided to do that, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing a league in Manassas. And I remember I was with Christopher and my wife and I went to, to the park and I took a soccer ball. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, there were two children. And I feel, I think one was Portuguese, one was Hispanic. And... And this was located on a street called Knoxville, Manassas. So we got off there, we started playing, and about 10 minutes into the game, a bunch of cars pulled up. And this was my first experience in Northern Virginia. I had just moved from New York like three days ago. And then a bunch of kids with backpacks, with numbers on their backpacks, and the kids uniform, like the local clubs that we have over here. and then it was my first experience because in New York we play soccer, we belong to clubs, but We don't get uh, We don't show up to the field with the uh, backpacks, the same color and numbers. Yeah. And our backpacks. New York is different. New York is like a foreign country when it comes to that mm-hmm. <laughs> New York, maybe the outskirts of New York, but the city of New York is not like that. So for me, it was like a first time experience. And I felt so bad because Christopher, what we mean. So I will, I just moved over to play home, but the other kids, we're just watching the, the kids about the same age that you showed up is with the mouth open looking. So I went up to the coach and I said, what can those two kids do to belong in your team? He's like, oh, they have to try out. I said, what's try out? <laughs> because for me, trials is one thing, but try out? I said, what's try out? He's like, oh, they come and they show their skills. I said, and then they play? I said, That's it. And then, then the club provides all that. He's like, no, they have to buy. I said, so how much is it? Back then, it was like $80, the registration, wow. which, now, which now is like 180. Yeah. So I looked at the kids, I looked at the shoes, I looked at the clothes This said, these kids, the parents of these kids cannot afford $80, that's for sure. I said that to myself. So I said to the kids, where do you guys live? They said, oh, across the street. I said, oh, you gotta be careful when you cross. So I crossed in the street, I said, go home. I said, give your mom my phone number. So to each of them, give your parents my phone number. I don't know why I said that. I didn't even have a plan. It was an instinct. And I talked to my wife. I said, that's not okay. And, oh, I forgot. I made those kids a promise. I said, look, I'm going to make a promise. You are going to have the same thing those kids have, and you are going to play soccer the next season. I'll make sure that 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 happens. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that that minute I had a goal so I went to my wife I talked to her I said I wonder how it is I, said, I mean I um, uh, you know a, a resident of this town I have everything whoever organized that that club has everything so all I have to do is organize a club so I said let me start and then I started the research mm-hmm. by then internet was brand new it, it was just you know it wasn't we still had the AOL was shh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had a, I had, I went to the library, spent half a day first. I researched on the, on the youth association that oversees the clubs. Then I found out the fields usage. Then I went to the local fields. It was a battle. It wasn't easy. The first thing they told me is like, "Bro, oh, there's already a club. Just join them." I said, "No." Nope. Is it free? They said, no. I said, I want to make something free. They said, oh, but why would you do that? Why don't you check with them if they have, um, I forgot the word they use. It wasn't a sponsorship. It, it was um, grants. Mm. Let's find out from them if they have any grants. I said, they have grants for several kids. I said, I don't know. You have to find out. So I had to go back and forth, back and forth, where I got to the point that I wrote a letter to the governor. I went straight to the top. I said, look you know it's not okay that you can only play sports if you have money that's not okay that these are public fields you cannot say it's a public field but right now you cannot play because this paying club is using it that's not okay um so i went i went through all that and at the end what i did is i got free marketing i contacted all the the local newspapers, myself, I said, this is what I'm trying to do. And it's free. So I had to tell them it was free so they can export. Because the minute I'll say, if I was doing something that was paid, then it's a business, right? I said, it's free. They said, okay, do you have a, it's it's an organization, a 501c3, where where is a nonprofit. I said, no, 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 no. I said, let's cut the crap. Just doing for free, in general, I don't care about your organization yeah. standards. we are just doing something for free. I went to the Latino community. I went everywhere, so I got uh, in my research and I made a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. I got um, like three newspapers, Latino newspapers, a local newspaper, uh, Manassas Times, something like that to we did an interview. And then I told them what I was looking to do. I got, um, I think it was NBC or CBC News to come wow. in. Um, BB&T Bank also came to talk to me. Wait, why did that happened? How did they find out? The, after after the, the newspaper? After a newspaper oh. release. That's so crazy. I made contact when I called the newspaper. I said, hey, you know, let me talk to whoever is in charge of community matters. So I did all that, all the, I searched for the free marketing. Once it got exposed, that's when I got the the kids to register because, you know, my email and my phone were blowing up. So I had to accept everyone. I had to accept everyone. And then I started recruiting volunteers. It was a big event. It, It went over for the entire summer. And I think we did it for two summers. And it was a great thing, a good experience that's that is crazy because i mean this just shows
0: if there's a will there's a way right you obviously had the will to help the the kids and then out of nowhere the miracles happen and i mean i i I mean i'm a huge believer of this because when you put it in good in the world it just reciprocates comes back to you and and it's it's amazing. I, I I you can see my reaction because this is the first time I'm
1: hearing that. After all these years, I didn't even know about this. It's actually crazy. <laughs> you know, and, and this is also something what you're doing. You're gonna yeah. realize you do something because you're trying to help others. You don't know who is gonna how is who is gonna receive this message or who is going to have the opportunity. But mm-hmm. my hope is that it gets to people and say, you know what? I can do the same thing in my town, wherever it is in any part of the world where this gets to. And you don't really need money. You need the will. You need uh, I'm I'm a believer of God. I believe there is one God. And, and that's, that's where I'm always, every time I go to sleep and when I wake up, I'm thankful for it. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel that, when you do something, your your initial intention is to help, then everything just falls in place. Yeah. And um and yeah, it was it was in fact I still have I didn't know we were gonna talk about this. Uh, that was a show, I still have the um, the newspaper articles from that. I have a picture oh, with kids. And, yeah, uh, right now? and it I'll tell you, you I yeah, have you. it somewhere buried in uh, um, <laughs> Hopefully, let me see. If, um, that would be great. But um, my best reward was, um, you know, in that league, although it was free, I had to still pick up kids from their houses, arrange rides with parents because they couldn't be picked up or, or whatever. So yeah. in, in, that, in that process, I met a lot of people, a lot of good people. I learned a lot of stories, people with with sad stories. I think I have a cutout here. Uh, I don't know if you can see, I have. Oh, this is great. That's um, a, a kid from Portugal and that's the owner of Dunkin' Donuts. That gentleman right there is the owner of about 20. Yeah. And wow. that's a newspaper article. And this is in 2005, you can see there. So this happened in 2005? In 2005. So that's how many years ago? Probably. And then 60, here. 60, name mm-hmm. of it? Right here where my finger is. That Big is Star summer. Summer.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, that's amazing. <laughs> so about... Th- and Christopher was, I believe, three years old. I don't have any pictures of that. But um, the best thing is that I got... um. Look, soccer is contagious in Manassas. Oh, man. Oh, man. You have not aged. That's crazy. That's (laughs) That's crazy. The the best thing, the best reward is when I... I was one day, this is not too long ago, probably five years ago. I think Christopher was in in high school, in his last year of high school. Yeah, it was around the time Chris was in the last year of high school. So, Facebook was all over the place and everything, and one day I get an instant message. And then a child, I'm trying to see my picture, then some guy, some guy older than Chris, about in his 20s, sends me a message. He's like, are you Coach Carlos? I said, I am. But the is when you coach youth soccer mm-hmm. you come across so many people and they grow and they become bigger taller than you and they grow beer like you and you don't recognize them <laughs> <laughs> and call you co- they call you coach and you don't know so he's like this is Hector I say oh Hector um where did I meet you he's like big star soccer and, of course, I remember Big Star Soccer. That was, yeah. that was one of the things that, um, that touched my life. And I said, yeah, Big Star Soccer, I know. He's like, Coach, he's like, thank you for everything you did for us. He's like, remember Junior. I said, no, I don't remember Junior. He's like, the kid that used to come just with the mom, used to, I used to pick up the mom and him from home. So I remember I took a picture with his mom and the kid at the end of the program, Everybody was in tears crying. What do we do from now? I said, I'm moving to Loudoun County. I hugged everybody. everybody became like my family. So, oh, yeah. but kid, he used to live by himself with his mom. So I hugged him and everything. And then, and then I said, you know, and he was an average player. He was like, I have a bunch of players that were great. I said, what are you yeah. doing here? You need to go to Europe or something. Some of So, somebody, but this kid over here wasn't that good. He was average, but they were people very humble people with a big heart. So I remember taking a picture with him. Um, and he had a blue shirt, and uh, I had sent to make the uniforms in Mexico, so I can afford them. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Know. I'm not even. But I sent them. Yeah, to make- yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. like like you said, like it's it's crazy because. You don't even have, the players don't even have to be nice. You don't have to even teach them crazy moves. It's how you make them feel. It's that energy you put in that they receive it. And they're like, oh, wow, this person that made me really feel good at what I'm doing right now, which is soccer. And like going back again to energy, like you put in that pure energy towards what you were doing, which was helping those two kids to just be able to play like those other kids that were, were more privileged because they have more uh, they have, they could afford that. And when you put in the right energy towards that, it reciprocated and with all those blessings that happened right after. That's that's actually very powerful.
1: But um yeah. and and yeah, before so I can finish the idea, let me see if I can pull up yeah. he is like a coach. you remember Junior, I said, Yeah, he like well, he came out, he was the best high school player of Manassas of uh, Prince William County. I said, wow, that's great. Because then I remembered that he was, you know, the kid that the mom was uh, very humble. Yeah. But, uh, and I have a picture of him with me, but so you can see it was four, I think it was 402 or 403 kids. So he tells me this picture he's like, coach, You probably didn't make any money out of that. I said, no, I didn't. I actually put money (laughs) from my income. I said, but, you know, having shared with you guys is what made made a whole difference. He's like, and and I only was with, with, uh, uh, Junior was like seven years old, the little kid. Mm -hmm. So this guy, Hector, he's like, well, coach, here's a picture I want to share with you. So I'm going to share with you. No way. Yep. Dortmund, for Flores, those yeah. that are listening, so Junior,
0: uh, what's his last name? Junior Flores. Flores. He yes. For Dortmund. For sure, Dortmund, that is amazing.
1: <laughs> did you ever reach out to him, or did he ever reach out to you? No, no, he reached out like to me. That he re- like because Hector had told him That's they were friends yeah. on, on uh, Facebook, so he told him Instagram wasn't oh, around, so yeah. he to me and he was always thankful and so I sent him a picture of me and him when, the, when he was little right. and he told me, he's like, coach that's the first time I ever played soccer when you gave us the chance wow so those two kids, that's, that's one of them right? yeah, so that's, that's obviously that's the one that made it the farthest Yeah. so they listened to your advice, I mean he did when you said go to Europe you know, and, and maybe along the way, before he got there he must have had um, uh, great opportunities, great, great trainers, but just being part of that initial kickoff, exactly. Exactly. it, it makes feel uh, very uh, blessed because you impacted someone's life. And then, you know, a lot of these kids went on to have kids. And yeah. a lot of what you say, you don't know how powerful your words are. A lot of words you say, it'll impact kids. That's, that's yeah. the most important thing, you know, the impact that we make as coaches, as players, on, on children, because they'll eventually repeat your words to others. Yeah, that's that's very powerful.
0: So, I mean, obviously, we make them, by them, I mean, the players, the young uh, players, we make them to believe and have those uh, confidence by the way we make them feel. But let's say, how about the people that are not able to have those coaches, that are not... uh lucky enough to have those opportunities how can we overcome those doubts and disbeliefs that our own mind uh creates like how do you think we can change that as like let's say for kids first like nine ten year olds that have disbeliefs doubts about themselves and then
1: older ages you know there is a misconception not only in soccer but in in society in general, a misconception of of the government, of, of of businesses and and the big businesses, that the only the old people and the children need help. They don't realize that the ones that need the most assistance, the most help, is the young adults. Mm-hmm. Because the young adults get to the post high school part, and they kind of get the dump in society they still, a lot of times, need a lunch. Sometimes they need a pair of cleats. Sometimes they need a club to go to. They don't realize that here, travel soccer ends at 18, and then you're in the air. So that's something that I'm doing at my own level right now, where I'm providing you know, opportunities for, for kids to continue playing, even if it's a group of three or four, uh, or 15 or 20, because my hope is The one day they'll do that for others, but we need to do that at a bigger scale.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is powerful. I mean, how do you, let's say you were in that situation of disbelief or doubt in your own head, right? No one is telling you that you can't do blah, blah, blah. Let's just say you had that in your head because I'm pretty sure, especially right now in our society, I'm experiencing that from my players that I train. There's a lot of uh, disbelief and doubt, which I don't know how they, it is created, but it is created somehow. And they just have disbeliefs about themselves and it's not uh, good, right? So how do you think, how, how could we overcome that exactly? Um, how can we as coaches help, to over, help them to overcome that?
1: You know, by, by showing them success uh, stories by sharing with them you and i know that at the at the highest level of the game the top players in the world come from very humble beginnings mm. yeah. maybe we live in a different country where where the the structure of the of the game itself is not the way it is in other countries but i think that that player that I show you, Junior Flores, is an example because it's not like after I trained him, he suddenly became rich and was able to afford. I'm sure they gave him a hand yeah. along the way, but right now, where we are, the good thing is that a lot of the European footballers are stepping in the MLS or in they own teams. It's it's getting a we're getting a little more of European and um, in overseas influence over here, presence. And, and they're showing Americans how, how you recruit when you scout players, and that's the high school years. So all I can tell you is, as coaches, we can tell the kids, look, this is do your best, when you, especially when you are playing at the school level. Because at the school level, thank God, is it's the, the, the way it should be everywhere. You know, it's not paid. Yeah. Cool. With good fields and available to these kids. At that rate, you know, train every day, have games one day. That's how it should be. And this whole thing will change. And not only will it change for the soccer players, but it will change for the society because now the kids will have something to look for forward to we should have a fourth a third and a second division you know where we said okay if i win this division i go to that division if i win the division it, and it'll it'll just be different but i i think right now the encouragement should be you know it's starting to happening it's changing not as much as we can but it's changing we have to just continue to do our best in our in our clubs and then when we play the opportunity to play for high school go for it. There's a lot of good players that don't get to play in the high school team. They are afraid to ask. Look, go to the coach and say, why not? Give me an opportunity. Give me five minutes and I'll show you. Because I've learned in life when you don't ask, before you ask, you already have the no. Mm -hmm. So why not ask? You already have the no. You have nothing to lose. Yeah, yeah. That is very powerful. Well said. Well said. Well said.
0: So, um, we're uh, getting closer to the end of the podcast, and I always close uh, finish the episode with this question: If you could take out one trait, basically a negative trait that you see from coaches, and add something else instead to today's coaching,
1: um, by today's coaching, I mean today's coaching in America. I think you have to. You have to be honest with the kids. I uh, there is there is a lot. I I think this is this is a a subject of a of a different podcast. Just the coaches. No, for sure. Yeah, that's why kids. I said only one because I know there's many. But yeah, be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and be honest with the kids. With yourself, how much you know about the game, and educate yourself as much as you can. Do the research, read books, watch videos. And do a lot of homework before you step on the pitch and send the wrong message to the kids. Because those little kids right there, you are the most important figure. You know, their father could be a professional player, but they're going to say, no, the coach told me this. Be careful what you tell the kids. Don't tell them what a big kick when they just kick the ball in the, into the woods. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, yeah. you have to be honest with yourself and be honest with the kids. Be honest what you say to them. So that's, that's the one thing, the, 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 the trait. don't, don't reward anything. Don't just say, you know, great job when it's not such a great yeah. job. And yeah. just maybe that kick that way, but that way, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. That is very powerful. Like don't give them false encouragement. Let them know that just because, it, I mean, it's not what we're looking for. We can fix it, but it's not what we're looking for. So like, Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Be honest. Definitely educate yourself. Yes, because there are, I've seen, I've seen a lot of coaches that just seen something on, uh, from other coaches or like from YouTube and then they're implementing that without the knowledge of why we're doing this. And it's just making the players a little bit confused as well. But those are powerful answers. Thank you so much, coach.
1: Um, where can the audience, where can the listeners reach out to you? Um, well, you know, I have. They can send me an email at football f u like unicorn t like team b like boy o l like a lion number four the word children at Gmail, and you know I'm open to to answer any questions they may have, anything, any suggestions they may have, because yeah. we all here to learn from each other. But no uh, I want to thank you for for making this. This podcast an opportunity for okay, everyone. Thank you for being here Thank you. Of course. Any any last words to say? You know, I think we all should have a hashtag where say soccer is for everyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I might actually add that to my uh, Instagram. <laughs> soccer is for everyone. That's a yeah.
1: yeah. You have money, or you don't have money. You are Catholic, Muslim. You are whatever. You're rich or poor. Soccer is for everyone. Yeah. That's the one for that that's
0: Good one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely agree <laughs> with you. All right, well, the pleasure having you, sir, on this episode and yeah, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in and have a great night. Bye-bye.